Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of In Depth with Beth and Seth, the podcast from Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis, where we dive a little deeper into the message heard on the prior Sunday. Today, we are looking at the sermon called Build Them Houses, question mark, Build Them Houses, from (laughs) February 14th, 2021. Scripture text is Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9, the transfiguration story, and we'll talk a little bit about that. I am Beth Hoffman Faith, Minister for Congregational Care and Worship at Plymouth, and the preacher is my partner in this podcast, Seth Patterson. Hi. Hi. It's good to be with you all. I am Seth Patterson, Minister for Spiritual Formation and Theater at Plymouth, and yeah, I, I wrestled with something publicly yesterday. I appreciate transparency, Seth. And so I was right with you in your grappling with this text. Uh, We might want to let people know a little bit about the context of transfiguration. So do you want to give it to us in a nutshell? Yeah, transfiguration is the stories. It is found in three of the four gospels. And some would argue that the prologue to John is another version of this. But the similar stories told in Mark, Matthew, and Luke about Jesus being transfigured, being transformed to show his true nature and being joined by Elijah and Moses on a mountaintop and a voice from heaven or somewhere saying, uh, this is my beloved child. This is the son of man. And then the stories are somewhat different, but this is the moment where the story tells that some of the disciples witness that Jesus is something more than the human that they have been following so far. We hear this story on the Sunday before the season of Lent begins. So Ash Wednesday is two days away, Wednesday, February 17th. And so this is the traditional day or uh, the Sunday that we hear the transfiguration story is right before the season of Lent begins. Resurrection foreshadowing. And it's, you know, as you said, it's seeing Jesus literally and figuratively in a different light. His clothes got so white, it says. He glowed in the dark. I like to think about it like that. Special (laughs) effect. So you are very honest at the beginning of the sermon. And again, I appreciate that because you thought you knew what you were going to preach about. You sat down, it sounds like, ready to write a sermon. Tell us a little (laughs) bit more about that process. Yeah. So we record on Thursday mornings, which means we have to have the sermon written by nine o'clock on a Thursday morning. And some weeks, as you know, Beth, are very full. Mm. Sometimes you don't get a chance to sit down to write it until you're done with your final meeting on Wednesday. And that's the case this week. So I knew that. And in my mind, I was writing it and preparing it and thought I knew, and I knew what I wanted to say. But when my final board meeting was over on Wednesday night and I sat down to write, I could not, could not piece together in any fashion that felt right to me what I wanted to say. And instead, I kept getting pulled back into this other thing, which I didn't want to talk about and didn't want to stay up as late as I did writing about it. But that is what ended up happening. And we're going to talk about that thing. But I I do want to say that this is a really significant part of the sermon creation process for me. And and you and I've had other conversations about this, that often, you know, we develop a seed in our heart and our mind. We kind of ruminate on it. We pray about it. Sermon writing weeks, everything evolves and revolves around the message we are, are going to produce in some way. But I have found that most 
times when I actually sit down to write, what I end up with is very different from what I thought I was going to do. Yeah. And this one, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and you just, this is a perfect example of that, but maybe there's more. Well, this one was more different. I would say that every time I sit down, the road goes in directions I wasn't expecting it. But this was a case where I had to leave one road and go find another. And that is not always the case where the very foundational premise or question changed. So tell us in this instance, what was it that prevented you from writing the sermon you thought you were going to write? I would say two things. One was practical. I kept writing it and I just couldn't, the pieces wouldn't line up. And if you had listened to the sermon that I tried, that I was hoping to to preach, it would have felt jumbled. It would have felt like a lot of fits and starts, like the end of one idea, I would start another one and they wouldn't necessarily be connected. I was just struggling to string the logic or the questions together. And the other part is, I think one of the reasons that I was struggling to do that is I was preoccupied with this question about, or my own resistance to talking about the supernatural or magical nature of the transfiguration. I was trying to talk about something related to it that came from it without having to talk about it in the same way that in a sermon in the last I don't know when I talked about Jesus healing people without talking at all about the concept of demons or releasing demons from people as a form of healing. I just talked about healing those who nobody else wanted to touch. And I was trying to do that again. (laughs) Well, and I appreciated that you named it. And those of you who are listening uh, are unfamiliar with this passage. I mean, Jesus does radically change in the way he looks. He really begins to dazzle and glow in the dark. Um, And you named it as magical and supernatural and also confessed that these are pieces of Jesus and theology that are not very comfortable for you. So can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, I would say that like most similar, I would guess, to the Peter and James and John and the other disciples, they were following a guy, a man, a human being that was like them. And while what he was preaching was radical and hard and completely against the cultural mores of the time, that was at least a person. And, and they kind of they could understand the human element of it. But all of a sudden, if in the story, they are now introduced to the same person who is a different person. And that is the part that I was in some ways, also introduced to Jesus as another person. But I am much more comfortable understanding and following and talking about the more human pieces of Jesus's ministry and not the, like, I am much more comfortable talking about how the empire murdered him than I am about the resurrection. Well, and in this piece too, we have the voice of God, which comes as well. Don't forget about the two dead prophets that show up. (laughs) Or as, as, Peter Eichton reminded me, Elijah didn't die. He just went off to heaven in a chariot. So in heaven, there's also an animal in a chariot with Elijah. None of them are dead. Right. So we have the voice (laughs) of God. We have dead or not quite dead prophets appearing. We have Jesus physically changing. Then we have the disciples' reaction to that. And here it seems to be was the hook for you. I mean, this is how you got to where 
the crux of the message came through was in the way that Peter specifically yep. responded. Yeah, it, that faced with this magical thing that was probably uncomfortable. It does say that he was terrified and didn't know what to say. Much like I, as an interpreter of this, am sort of scared of it and don't know what to do with it and don't know what to say about it. That his first reaction was one that I find to be so kind. I was struck by his generosity, that his initial reaction was saying, do you need a house? Like, it was just like, do you want something to eat? Like this foundational human taking care of is, is how I kept reading it. That instead of running away and saying, this is terrifying, there are dead people next to you and you look different and there's a voice from heaven talking about you. But many people would run away. He offered to build them a house. And I was struck by that. Right. And I think that response is not one that I had thought of. I have looked at this passage many times, preached it, and often fall into this understanding that Peter was so overwhelmed. And instead of sort of dealing with what he was seeing and experiencing, rather than sort of acknowledging his feelings, he just wanted to get busy and do something. Yeah. As, as a way to kind of avoid everything else. Let's just, okay, we'll just sort of build these dwellings for uh, all you people that I'm seeing now. <laughs> this is uncomfortable. Uh, I'll take a saw and a hammer and let's do something so I can avoid thinking. about. Yeah. What is wonderful about this is the reminder that there are, there are many different ways of interpreting the same story. There are many ways to make meaning out of this and many stories. And it's up to us to come to one that at the moment is is meaningful. And that can well, shift in our lives. Absolutely. And that, that's the gift of scripture. Every time we approach it, we're bringing with our understanding the context of the time we're living in, uh, maybe a new awareness of the context in which it was written. But you landed on Peter's reaction becoming commissioned for us and our calling, that perhaps more than anything else, what we are called to do is create dwelling spaces for others. You say this both literally and figuratively. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about that. I wonder if change is inevitable. It will always happen. And sometimes the change is big. Sometimes it's small. But in the times where we are witnessing change in other people, instead of questioning their change, instead of asking them to validate their change, instead of asking them to prove that whatever their new needs are after the change are reasonable, that maybe our calling as followers of Jesus and the followers of Peter, instead of questioning it, is, to, is that our first reaction is to take care of. When you're coming out of this transformation, out of this change, how can we take care of you in this moment? And that's, that's what I've would like our calling to be. I would well, that, like that to be our reaction. That's very reminiscent of the church that is described in the first part of Acts, the book of Acts, is that people shared what they had and everyone had enough. Yeah. And there was this mutuality in communal living. And so I think that you present this in a way that people, I'm guessing, have not approached the transfiguration before. And you lift up this really tangible thing that we can do the figurative part of providing dwelling is a little bit more interpretive. I think we yeah. could all respond in different ways. And also it's very timely. There are so many people with unstable homes who don't have housing at all. I think about my heart is so tender right now for people who are living in these 20 below zero elements oh. out on the streets. How is that even feasible and possible? And we also know that Plymouth has a long history 
of working to provide stable housing and working with the homeless community. Beacon housing was birthed from Plymouth Church. And you you don't mention that in this sermon, which (laughs) I found really intriguing. And so I wonder if you might tell us why you you left it far more open for interpretation rather than an, a specific example. This was not an oversight. This was purposeful. And for I would say for two reasons. One is practical in my own uh, caring for self. Is that, like I said earlier, it wasn't just that the road I was on went in a new direction. I had to switch to a different road. And I started writing this after a board meeting at night. And so by the time I really realized where this new road was leading me, it was very late. It was basically finishing a 19-hour workday. And I was done. And to do the research and to figure out how to bring in something like Beacon felt more than I was able to do. But the other reason is maybe more important in this conversation, to me at least, and that is I have found that oftentimes when we name something very specific in that way, then the rest of the sermon gets subsumed into that specificity. We forget about the general message, and then it becomes the beacon sermon. It becomes about supporting beacon or some specific thing. But what I was really wanting us to do is think about how in the many ways that we encounter the world, how we can react with that generosity of caretaking as opposed to what our culture often asks of us, which is to question it, to ask for validation. And that seemed to be more important to me than lifting up a singular activity. Also, we need to continue supporting Beacon and other activities. And you said we have a long history with this. We should have a long future with it. Well, thank you for that. Very honest uh, and uh, sort of true confessions from the preacher in terms of... (laughs) How things get uh, included and don't, but I I appreciate sort of keeping the wideness of the response. And you say towards the end of the sermon, we are called to build dwellings for each other so as to keep each other safe and warm and cared for. We don't have to understand it to be caring. We don't have to feel comfortable to be generous. We can be terrified and not know what to say and still give our gifts. I think that is really significant. There are too many of us who perhaps only want to move into the future that's well carved out and thought out and uh, where we know exactly what's going to happen next. Yeah. And the transfiguration is certainly a story in which everyone's surprised by the happenings and potentially the outcome. So any final thoughts, Seth, anything you wished you would have said in your sermon, but didn't get a chance to say? No, it it was such a surprise to me that <laughs> even you reading it back to me, I was like, wow. Wow. I said, I said that. that? <laughs> huh. How about that? Wow. Well, my takeaway is just to really think about dwelling places. I think that we have specific work to do with, with physical structures and providing safe housing for people to live in, but I am thinking too about what it means to provide a dwelling space for those who are not known to us, but those who are companions on our journey in a figurative way. So I appreciate uh, appreciate the seeds you planted here. That's Seth. my wrestling too. That's what I'm trying to figure out too. Yeah, it's, uh, it's important. Well, friends, that wraps up another episode of In-Depth with Beth 
and Seth. Grateful to have you along on this journey. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd always like to hear from you. Maybe our conversation has sparked some questions for you. Please feel free to reach out to Seth or myself if you'd like to continue this conversation. And did you know that this podcast is now on iTunes? I know that one for a fact, but maybe it will also be on many other platforms, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and so forth. Uh, and that way it might be easier for you to listen to, to subscribe and to have it just beamed magically to your phone or other device and you can share it with others. We are expanding, Seth. Aren't we? <laughs> Welcome to the late 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> so glad to have you all along with us for the ride. Be well, take good care of each other. Have a good week, Beth. You too, Seth. And blessings, everyone.